Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. How to resolve conflict, part 3. Part 3. And I pray that I would do this third part justice. You know? How many of you guys like Star Wars? Yeah? Like Star- I like Star Wars too. Right? Episode 1 was so cool. Episode 2 was cool. We got to episode 3 and it was... <sighs> Right? It's always the last one that kind of, like, it's like the same. Okay, so let me talk to you older folks, right? Okay, so um, New Hope, right? Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Empire Strikes Back was the best one, right? You get to Return of the Jedi, the third part in that movie series, and it's kind of like, nah. They didn't really know how to land the plane really well. So I pray that I do this third part to this sermon series, Some Justice. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Third part of this mini-series on how to resolve conflict based out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. So let's read it together. God blesses those who are peacemakers. They, the peacemakers, will be called the children of God. Let's internalize that one more time. God blesses those who are peacemakers. They, the peacemakers, will be called the children of God. So I want to share with you some things that we shared at the beginning of this series. So last week we looked at how God calls us to be peacemakers as our primary calling as Christians. And the first two weeks of this series, we outlined what does it look like to be a peacemaker. So we said, number one, if there's conflict, I make the first move. Don't wait for somebody else to make the first move. You make the first move. You talk. Nothing gets resolved by accident, right? Do you know anybody who has been healed of cancer by accident? No, right? You're going to a doctor. You're getting medication. You're doing surgery. You're doing something. You're praying, right? It just doesn't happen by accident. Conflict, same thing doesn't get resolved by accident. It gets resolved on purpose. Make the first move. Number two, ask God for wisdom. God, how do I tackle this? I don't know the things to say. I don't know how to speak to this person. I'm a little bit intimidated to even have this conversation with this person. Ask God for wisdom. Number three, begin with what's your fault. How many of you have ever started, I don't know, I don't want to have you raise your hand at this one, but how many of you have ever started a conversation with somebody, your spouse, somebody in your relationship with a friend? You did this to me, and this is your fault, and we're in this situation right now because of you. Now, how many times do you think that that goes well? How many times do you think that you ever resolve anything by doing that? So when you're in a conflict, begin with what's your fault. Even if 99.9999% of it began with them, you can always find that 0.01% that you had some fault, you could have done something different. Now, if you're telling me, Pastor Tom, I couldn't have done anything different, then here's what I'm going to tell you. Let's pray after the service. You have something called a pride issue, and we need to walk through that, and we need to deal with that. There's bigger issues that are at play in here. Number four, listen to their hurt and perspective. You see things only the way you see them. How many of you know, I I always used to, the very first time, okay, I know if you like animals, I'm so sorry about this. I promise, please don't call PETA on me. Um, 
I, I, when I asked Crystal to marry me, we took a horse carriage ride in Central Park. And so um, the horses in Central Park have these things called blinders so that they can't see. They don't get distracted by what's on the side. Can I tell you, we as humans, we have blinders too. And we only see what's directly in front of us. And so sometimes we don't see the fullness of the picture and the fullness of the perspective. And so it's always good. Try to understand somebody else's perspective. Remember I spoke about bitter roots? Can I tell you how much more compassion you have over people when you understand that their brokenness is rooted in something human? Have you ever watched? I like watching uh, um, on Netflix. I don't have TV Okay, but I like watching Netflix a lot. And you know what I like sometimes when you have shows and all of a sudden they profile the good guys in in these episodes and you're like, yeah, 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 that guy's so evil. He's so terrible. He's so bad. Why does he want to kill everybody? And then all of a sudden they do an episode solely on the bad guy and they start when he's a kid and he loses his mom and he goes through a whole life of tragedy and then you're like, man. I feel terrible that I was rooting against this guy the whole time. Like, there's a human aspect to him. And so sometimes when we're in an argument with people, we demonize them. They lose human characteristics in our head. And all they do is they become a problem to us. And so what needs to happen sometimes is we need to get and understand where the root is. If we understand the root is, and if we understand that they're a lot more like us, than what we think, that they're human just like us, it makes it easier for us to understand their hurt and perspective. Let's dive in deep today. We're going to hit the, the fifth step. So after you've admitted your fault, after you listen for their hurts and their perspective, number five, speak the truth tactfully. You cannot run away from the truth. The truth will hunt you down. How many of you have ever heard the saying, the truth sets you free? Amen. Powerful statement. The truth sets you free. But here's the thing. You've got to say it with love. You've got to say it with kindness. You've got to say it with tact. How many of you know people, or maybe you, have said this before? I just tell it like it is. Right? You ever heard? I just say whatever comes to my mind. I just tell it like it is. Can I tell you something? That's called being rude. Don't be proud that that is something that you have. Don't be proud that you just tell it like it is. Can I tell you something? Receive this in love. It means you're a jerk. It means you don't really care about other people. It means that all you want to do is just get your stuff off of your chest and you don't care how it affects someone else. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. See, the truth is not enough. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. If you say it, listen to me, capture this. If you say it offensively, it will be received defensively. You need to always speak the truth in love, even to your children. Parents, the second that you start screaming at the top of your lungs at your kids, they will not listen to a word you say. All they're hearing is emotion and they will remember the emotion and will not remember the words it doesn't work can i tell you i remember arguments that i had with my dad with my mom with people with crystal 
I can't even, the other day, Crystal and I were trying to figure out what we were arguing about at one point. I didn't remember anything that we argued about at all. I surely remembered the emotion and the behaviors that I expressed and that she expressed behind it, but I remembered the emotion. I couldn't even remember what started the argument, but that's the truth. You will remember the emotion. You won't remember the words because it doesn't work to resolve a problem that way. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. You like that? Oh, I like that too. When you're upset with a waitress, when you're upset with the DMV clerk, anytime you start acting in an irritating way, they're not listening at all. You need to speak the truth in love. You never use the truth as a bat. People change faster. People change easier when the truth, and it's often difficult to receive truth. Truth is difficult to receive when it's wrapped in love. Are you ready for this? I coined this thing, and I like it a lot. It's called the truth burrito. You wrap it in love so that people can receive that hard truth. Truth without love is resisted. Truth with love is received. It's not, just how you, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So what's he saying there? In a conflict, foolish words hurt. Wise words heal. And it's your choice. You never get your point across by being nasty. It's all in the way you see it, your perspective. Let me just share with you a little story. Crystal and I, um, every once in a while, not very often, but we take a trip down to New York City. Normally we visit grandmas and stuff like that. And, and, uh, or we just have a day to kind of walk around. And so we were in the Times Square uh, area. Hundreds of thousands of people are all over that place. It's insane. And there were two guys. They were Christians, right? They were standing there with giant yellow signs and frowns on their faces, and they were clearly not really happy at all to be in the center of New York City. And not saying a word to anybody, they were just standing there looking angry. These are hellfire, I call them hellfire and brimstone, turn and burn people, die you'll fry kind of people. And they had those types of signs up. One of them said, repent or go to hell. The other one said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Here's the truth. The fact is, is that both of those are true. But they're not speaking the truth in love. It's true. I do need to repent. It's true. I do need to accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. I guarantee you, though, nobody got saved by those signs. Not one single person. Why? Because they were speaking the truth, but they were not speaking the truth in love. Does that make sense? It's not just what you say. It's how you say it. For instance, the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. I could teach that truth to you in two different ways and I've seen it taught in in different churches in different ways. But I could shout it at you in anger. Don't you get it? People will go to hell. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, can I ask you, do you think that that's the way Jesus would have said it when he was inspiring scriptures? Do you think Jesus would have been shouting like he was happy that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God? Like, hey, I'm so excited. Everyone's going to hell in a handbasket. 
And it's great. You think Jesus would have said it that way? I don't think so. I think Jesus would have said something like that with a broken heart. I think he would look out at the world and go, all have sinned. Everyone's blown it. Everyone's messed up. We've all sinned. And everybody comes short of the glory of God. I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's standards. You see, I think that that's the way Jesus would say it. You see the difference in that? You see the difference sometimes between Risen King and and some other churches? It can be the same truth, but it's the way that's shared. You say it offensively, it'll be received defensively. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 29. Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. That's one of the greatest verses on parenting that you could ever learn. Marriage or even friendship. Don't use harmful words. In fact, in your marriage, you're a sinner. Newsflash. Guess what? I know that that's hard to receive, but you'll like this next one. Your spouse is a sinner, right? You like that one, but you didn't like the first one. You didn't like the you part. You liked the them part. Yeah. Two imperfect people cannot make a perfect relationship. Y'all need to stop watching so many Disney movies and expecting happily ever after. Because when you get two sinners and two imperfect people into a relationship and you're like, I want a perfect marriage. Guess what? It ain't going to go down that way. So you're going to have conflict and you're going to fight and you're going to argue and you're going to have conflict the rest of your marriage. For those of you who are saying, I want to get this fixed and all of a sudden it's going to stop. No, man, I'm telling you, you're going to be arguing at 80 years old with no teeth with each other. (laughs) Where'd you put my cane? (laughs) I mean, I mean, you're, you're, like, this is going to go on the entirety of your life. You're, you're married. Whether you're 80, whether you're 90, whether you're 100 years old, you could be the sweetest couple on earth, and you will have disagreements with your spouse. So what you need to do is you need to establish ground rules so you don't destroy yourselves in the inevitable conflict of life. You need to take some words that are inflammatory, and you need to say these words are not are off limits. We're not going to use these words. Because there are certain words that you can use that can trigger your spouse and engage them. There are certain words your spouse can use that can trigger you into rage, that can trigger you into depression. You need to not use them. Do you know what happens to us? I'm going to just speak. I'm going to be honest. I know you guys probably think I'm a terrible person, but I'll be honest. Okay? Do you know what happens when I know that there's a word or something that I say, even if it's simple, that irritates my wife? When I'm angry, when I'm really angry at her and we're in the middle of an argument, you know what I do? I say it. I say it because I know that it'll reach to the core and I'll be like, bingo, KO, I win. Bad, do not, do not. Follow Pastor Tom's examples. (laughs) But there are certain words you need to know not to say. And and Crystal and I, we're still, still, as I'm speaking this, we still work through these things as a couple. You need to take them off the table. And you need to fight fair. How many of you like boxing? I love boxing. It's my favorite sport on 
the planet. I love seeing two guys or two girls boxing with each other. And they have a referee. And the referee is there. And you know that there are certain rules, right? You cannot do a low blow. You can't hit them below the belt. Bad. No bueno. That goes against the rules because you're not fighting fair. You know what else you can't do? When the ref is at the corner and they're at the corner of the ring and they're both grappled onto each other and the guy on this end is hitting the guy as he's wrapped around him in the head to try to wound him, the ref will come and they will stop because someone is not fighting fair. Here's the truth. You need to establish ground rules for how you fight in your relationship with your spouse and you need to declare you're not going to use these words. Are you ready? You want to know what the number one thing guaranteed all of us who are married here have this in common. Are you ready? This is something that likely you have threatened in your life. Number one threat, number one weapon of mass destruction in a marriage, the threat of divorce. You need to declare that you're not going to say we're going to get a divorce. You need to decide that you're going to take that off the table. You need to close the escape hatch. Some of y'all have the escape hatch in relationships already open and ready to go. You're so afraid to be wounded. You have that puppy ready to go so that the second that they do something that you don't like, you're hopping through that door and you're out of there and it's over. You need to close the escape hatch of your marriage. You need to lock it with a key and you need to throw the key really far away. And you need to say, I am going to make it through this marriage, through this relationship, even if it kills me. Don't give up. Now I'm talking about things that can be worked out. If your husband beats you, you go to a police station you call the police, you let them take care of it, and you let them take him away in handcuffs. And if you're a woman who beats your husband, you better hope that I expect that he would call the police and that you would be taken away in handcuffs because there should be no resort. When two people take and hit each other, they have lost all respect for each other. They have lost all respect for each other. That needs to be thrown away. So I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about conflict. I'm talking about disagreement. Listen, during the Cold War, during the Cold War between the Communist East and the Capitalist West, between the Soviet Union and its allies and the United States and its allies, at the height of the Cold War from the 1950s until the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Y'all remember how the Berlin Wall fell down? You remember Ronald Reagan in Germany before the Berlin Wall? Right? He said that speech. Everybody tried to get him to change the speech, and he said it anyway. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And all of a sudden, communism began to fall away, and the Cold War began to be a thing of the past. But in about 1989, both sides agreed. Excuse me. During that Cold War, both sides agreed that some weapons were off limits. They called them WMDs. You ever heard of that before? It was coined during the War of Terror. George W. Bush coined the term during the War on Terror. Weapons of mass destruction. They said we may fight, we may argue, we may have conflict, but we're not going to use the big one. Neither of us will drop atomic bombs because it will do something called MAD, MAD. You ready? Mutual assured destruction. Both the Soviet Union and the United States of America knew that if one of them dropped an atomic bomb, 
it was over for the world. It would de- destroy the entire planet. You need to learn to ban the weapons of mass destruction from your marriage. There are certain words that you just need to say. Those are off limits. We're not going to use them. Sometimes, some of you need to go home. You need to make a list and you need to agree and say, we may be so mad and so upset, but we're never going to use these words on each other. Don't use harmful words. Learn to fight fair. Sixth step. Fix the problem, not the blame. This is worth thousands of dollars of counseling, what I'm about to give you. Fix the problem, not the blame. You need to learn to attack the issue and not each other. You need to realize that some, you, for you guys who are married and for you guys who are in friendships with each other, you're both playing on the same team. Anytime you're busy fixing the blame, you're wasting energy and no problems are being fixed. Are you ready? I'm going to give you a powerful representation of this. Exhibit A, the city of Washington, D.C. The president blames the Congress for everything that goes wrong. The Congress blames the White House for everything that goes wrong. And you want to know what? Nothing gets done for the common people. Why? Because they play the blame game. And right now, everyone in Washington, D.C. is being just a little lame. And all they can do is blame each other. And as long as you're fixing the blame, you're not fixing the problems. And as long as you're attacking each other, you're not attacking the issues. God is very, very specific about the kinds of words that are out of bound. You don't say, but you did this, but you did that, but you did this, but you did that. The blame game is a total waste of time. Stop fixing the blame and start fixing the problem. You got a problem with sex in your marriage. You got a problem with finances in your marriage. You got a problem with your in-laws in your marriage. You got a problem with your children in your marriage. You got a problem with work schedule in your marriage. Stop fixing the blame and start fixing the problem. God is very specific about the kind of words that are out of bounds. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. It's just one example and I I could give you dozens, but I'll just give you one. You must rid yourselves and, and put in parentheses here. If you have a little Bible, put it at the margin and point to this. Put WMDs, weapons of mass destruction. You must rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says, in your marriage, in your relationships, no angry rage. In other words, you should never try to intimidate somebody else with your display of anger. You know, I've seen adults display anger rages, and I've been sitting down across from them at a table, and they are just yelling at the top of their lungs, and I'm just sitting there. You know what's going through my head at that moment? Oh my God, you're acting like my two-year-old. And you know what people try to do when they try to, I'm so angry, I'm so upset, I can't believe that you did that to me. What they're trying to do by that display, even if so unintentionally, they're trying to intimidate the person that they're in an argument with. Never intimidate someone with your anger. You should never make threats. That doesn't work. Malice means you say things that are intentionally designed to hurt. I got to repent. Right? We got to repent from doing that. And you're saying, I don't do that. Have you ever told your spouse you're just like your mother? 
Have you ever said that? You husbands? Have you ever told your husbands you're just like your father? Or have you ever done one of these things? You don't have a good relationship with your dad and you go to your husband and you say, you're acting just like my father. Labeling or belittling or psychologizing someone. I know why you did that. No, here's the truth. You cannot, you cannot assume motives and ascribe motives to people. How in the world could you ever figure out the motivation of somebody else? There's no way that you can know somebody else's motives because you don't even know your own half the time. Um, did that preach? You don't know someone else's motives because you can't even figure out your own half the time. You can't even figure out why you do things half the time you do them. And we're so busy psychologizing, analyzing other people to try to ascribe to them motives and say, I know exactly why you did that or why you behaved that way. It's not helpful to anyone. And then no slander. That means no insults no insults no belittling someone no labeling them fix the problem don't fix the blame number seven and this is powerful focus on reconciliation and not resolution and there's a big difference and i'll explain to them reconciliation means reestablishing a relationship with someone we bury the hatchet it doesn't mean you'll remarry an ex It just means that you're at peace with each other. You're not holding on to any hurt. We've buried the hatchet. That's reconciliation. Resolution means we resolve every disagreement. And how many of you can say amen to the fact that that is never going to happen? The truth is, is there are some things in your marriage, in your friendship with other people that you're never going to agree on. Because we're all different. But you can disagree without being disagreeable. That's called maturity. That's called wisdom. That's called being like Jesus. To disagree without being disagreeable. See, we can have unity without uniformity. We can have unity without uniformity. We can walk hand in hand together without seeing eye to eye. Exhibit A, my wife and I. We don't see eye to eye on so many things, but we walk hand in hand. You can have reconciliation without resolution. And here, let me just share this with you. There's certain people that exited your life, that exited your life that you should reconcile with them, bury the hatchet, bury the wound, and bury the pain, but you should not invite them back into your life. There's certain people that need to just, you just got to cut them off. They're no good. They're no healthy. I've said this time and time again. I walked through a very difficult ministry situation where I loved someone very, very dearly. But the fact is, is that they were in ongoing, continuous sin as a minister of the gospel. And they refused after me going to them personally, going to the board of elders, going to their denomination to repent at all. And we're not talking about a little character difference. We're talking about drug use and money and stealing finances. And so they kept on trying over and over and over and over again to reestablish a relationship with me and to communicate with me. But I knew that I was in ministry now and I was the pastor of a church. 
And I knew that if I was ever associated in anybody's eyes with the way that they conducted themselves and did ministry, that I would bring discredit on the gospel, on Jesus, and on my family. And so you know what? I wrote a letter to them. And I submitted it to our presbyter, our supervising pastor. And I said, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And I submitted it and I sent it to him. I said, please. I said, because you, I said, I want you to know I've forgiven you. There's peace in my heart completely. I have nothing against you at all. But I cannot be in relationship with you any longer because you choose to continue to be in unrepentant sin and continue to be in, a, in the altar, in the pulpit, preaching God's word, pastoring God's people, while behind closed doors, you're doing things that are evil in the sight of God. Some relationships need to be broken. Here's what I've learned from counseling marriages. If you focus on restoring your relationship Oftentimes, the issues become insignificant. How many of your biggest arguments were over small things? How many of you remember the biggest thinking in your head? Close your eyes for a second. How many of you remember the biggest arguments that you ever had? Now, out of those, do you remember what it even was about? Sometimes our biggest arguments come over the smallest things. I can't believe they were really about that. I had an argument with my wife the other day. Right? Yesterday, actually. Yesterday, right? She left these two uh, pacifiers on the kitchen table. And she says that she told me, she says, I love you. (laughs) She says that she told me, don't take those pacifiers. We call them bobos. Don't take those pacifiers and don't put it on mica because they need to be boiled. They need to be washed, right? So she comes to me and she goes, he's crying. Put a bobo, a pacifier, in his mouth. So what do I do? I take the ones, the naughty bobos, <laughs> and I go and I put it in his mouth. What are you doing? I told you not to. I, you didn't tell me that. Sometimes you think that you told me something and you didn't tell me that at all. I did. I promise you. I told you. And, and let me tell you something. Literally, the whole, and she could, she could laugh at this with you now, but we like spent half the day arguing about a pacifier <laughs> that needed to be boiled. See, we argue over the smallest thing sometimes. But, but here's the thing. Sometimes you need to go back to focusing on the relationship. Let me wrap this up this morning. Here's my challenge to you as a pastor who loves you. Our world is filled with conflict. All you need to do is pick up a newspaper. It's everywhere. In the world, there's constant conflict. There's wars. There's division. There's arguments. There's stress between people. There's prejudice. There is racism. There's clashes. We have everything from violence to tribalism to terrorism to people to partisanship in our politics to people attacking each other constantly. And as a result of all these things that we have operating in our world, we have these things called broken relationships. We have a broken government. We have broken marriages. We have broken lives and broken hearts. My challenge to you as your pastor is that you will commit to being an agent of reconciliation in a world filled with conflict, that you will become a bridge builder and not a wall builder, that you will look for ways to bring people together rather than tearing them up. This is your ministry. This is what Jesus has called you to. 
Let me show you what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. It says this, God has restored our relationship with him. In other words, God has made us his friends. We're estranged, we were unreconciled, and God has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus for our sins. And here, here's what it says. God has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation or of restoring relationships. See, your ministry, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a man of God, if you claim to be a woman of God, God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ restoring his relationship with humanity. He didn't hold people's faults against them. Oh, come on now. I like that Bible verse. God was in Christ restoring his relationship with humanity. That means he fixed his relationship with us. He didn't hold people's faults against them. Guess what? Who's our example? Jesus. That means you shouldn't either. And he has given us this message. What's the message? This message. The message of restored relationships so that we can tell others. You know those guys in Times Square that I shared with you about? You know what the kind of signs that they should have had? They should have had a sign that said, God has forgiven you. He wants you to be his friend. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he'd rather die than live without you. He's broken down the barriers of the wall and he wants you to be reconciled to him. God wants a relationship with you and he wants to get you to get, he wants to give you that relationship to others. The message of restoring relationships to tell other people. How much more beautiful, how many more results would that have achieved? See, we are Jesus's representatives, the Apostle Paul says. We are Christ's representatives. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reunited with God. That is the plea of the gospel. That's what it means to be a witness. It's what it means to be a Christian, to go out into society and say, God's done everything to put you back in fellowship with him. He's already paid the price for your sins. You don't have to be God's enemy. He's not mad at you. He is madly in love with you. Be reconciled to God. Be at peace with God. And then spread that peace to everybody else. And if you do that, the Bible says, God blesses those who are peacemakers for they will be called the children of God.